first chapter of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish.' Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. Let's pray. Let's pray together as we begin. Our Father, our great plea is you would speak to us this morning so we understand more of your character. Uh, and beyond that, we love it. We love you and long to be like you. Please be at work amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, a few years ago, the first time we went uh, uh, to Singapore as a family uh, it's a fascinating city, and of course the first thing you do when you go to a new city is go to the History Museum, because history is wonderful, and um, it's quite hard to understand a culture and a city uh, without understanding its history, obviously. So, And if you ever go to the National Museum of History uh, in Singapore, it's terrific, it's high-tech and whizzy, kind of as you'd expect, uh, and uh, fascinating. Um, and then one of the things which is a bit odd about it is the largest room in the Big Wizzy Museum is about 1942 and the British surrender of Singapore to invading Japanese forces. That's the largest room in the whole museum. 
much more space is given to that than post-war economic boom and, and how they went from a, a tin pot city really to just an economic superpower. And that's the biggest room. And uh, not that I spoke to the museum director, but uh, my, my own understanding or assessment of it would be that room 1942 is we were let down by the British. And so never again we will defend ourselves. Right, So that's the sort of propaganda message given out by the government. That we will have a military. Because 1942, not long after, you know, so Japanese come in and there was, well, it was pretty horrific what took place. Uh, about 50,000 Singaporeans executed in a purge. Uh, and that's clearly had a massive impact upon the psyche of that city-state. If you see their National Day, extraordinary parade of military arsenal goes by sort of thing we used to see in North Korea, and you think, wow, wow. But that, had a, that event had an enormous impact upon the psyche, particularly if you're that generation. So it was interesting for us, we, we went to this museum, and the next day we went to church, and uh, uh, the pastor, Singaporean bloke, uh, told, told the story of uh, how he'd married a Japanese woman around about 1990, and his father had never spoken to him again. Because for his father, such was the treatment that he had observed that it was just, in, just a betrayal of his son. Even though it was 45 years, 40, more than 45 years after the event, he just didn't speak to his son. And the pastor and his wife went on to have three kids. He never spoke to them. He tells her movingly of how uh, one day they're in, uh, walking down a street and uh, he sees his dad coming towards him. His dad looks up, crossed the road. So he didn't have to engage with his family. Because for the father, he just couldn't get his head around his son marrying a Japanese woman, having kids which were mixed race. But then movingly he said about when the oldest kid was about 15 years old, again, they saw his dad in uh, the sort of botanical gardens. And dad came over and embraced his son and embraced the kids and finally embraced the wife. And as the pastor tells it, at that moment, he thought, now my dad, who's called himself a Christian all his life, has finally understood the gospel. He's finally understood that God is a God of mercy. And if you know that, you show mercy to others. But quite striking, this the pastor's dad, a Christian all his life, and yet utterly unwilling to forgive, to move on from the events of his childhood. Very striking. The book of Jonah is a book about God's mercy. Jonah was one who knew it himself and yet could not show it to others. Similar to that Singaporean pastor, there was resentment, there was fear, there was dislike of others and he would not show it to other people. 
So Jonah is a book about God's mercy. The Lord is the God who saves. His mercy is for all peoples, no matter what background, what race, no matter, no matter how wicked they've been. And, and really, it's a short story, but four chapters about how Jonah had to learn, not just in his head that God was a God of mercy, but truly in his being, his, his heart, to show that mercy to other people and people groups. And so as we work our way through it over uh, the next month, maybe if you wouldn't yet persuaded of the Christian faith, you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, you need to understand quite how generous and kind and merciful God is. But for many of us who are Christians, I guess the challenge is perhaps some of us have a little bit of a gap. A a gap between the the, the doctrine, the the knowledge of, of what God is like, as a God of mercy, and one who's been kind to us, had mercy upon us. There's a gap between that and how we relate to other people, whether we're willing to show mercy to them. See, it is quite possible to be like that Singaporean pastor's dad, very pleased to have received mercy himself, but unwilling to show it to others, unwilling to speak of it, to others. And it's quite possible to be a little bit like that, delighted that God has forgiven us. But keeping that message to ourselves, unwilling for whatever reason it may be to share it with others. And this book of the Bible is here in one sense so that we are so struck afresh, so overwhelmed by God's mercy that we, well, that we long to share it with others around us. That's why it's here. Uh, now, very briefly, the book is structured into two halves, and we've got a little slide which shows that. Don't worry about it too much, but it goes a bit like this: uh, the book of Jonah. It's in two halves, uh, chapter one, verse one to two ten, uh, and the second half, three one to the end. Uh, and these sections sort of shadow one another. You get a, the Lord speaks to Jonah, then the Jonah engages with the Gentiles, and then you go back to the Lord with Jonah. It goes through this pattern again, uh, and then at the end, there's this extra little seed in chapter four, verses five to eleven that has no parallel in the first half, which is all about God saying to Mona. Mona? He's a Mona. Jonah the Mona. There we go. That's what it'll be from now on for the end of the month. Um, God saying to Jonah, can't you show mercy? That's how it works. But today then, uh, in chapter one, here is uh, Jonah starting to learn some lessons as God pursues him with his mercy. So we work through it like this. We see Jonah uh, fleeing God's mercy, one to four, ignoring God's mercy, five to 14, and then finally accepting God's mercy, 14 to 17. And then we'll look at some implications of that. Okay? Fleeing God's mercy, ignoring God's mercy, and then finally accepting it. First, then, verses one to four. Jonah is fleeing God's mercy. Chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, No great introduction here. Uh, Jonah is unlike the rest of the 11 minor prophets. It's not really uh, an account of God's words as a prophet so much. It's a bit more like a story. It's a bit more like reading uh, Ruth or Esther or something like that. No great detail about who he is. But we're told a little bit more about Jonah in 2 Kings, chapter 14. No need to turn to it, but that helps us date the book at around 750 BC. If you read 2 Kings 14, you're told about Jonah. Jonah had had a successful career until this point. Jonah had been a prophet, Jonah, son of Amittai, who said to Israel, hey, we're going to expand our borders. We're going to become economically successful. It's going to be a time of growth for Israel. 
Now, if you're a prophet, that's a great message. You stand up and say, hey, everyone, we're going to be even more successful in the next 30 years than we've ever been. And then it happens. Hey, that's a great job, isn't it? Uh, Everyone loves delivering good news to the boss, to the people, as it were. So it's been a successful career for Jonah until this point. Now there's a change of direction, though. Verse 2. No longer speaking just to your own people in Israel. Go to the great city of Nineveh. It's the, Genesis 10 will tell us, the founding city of the Assyrian Empire. It's not the capital, but it's the founding city. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And Nineveh was wicked. You can read elsewhere in the prophet Nahum, chapter 3, God says to Nineveh, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without a victim. You go to the British Museum, and uh, you can read the, the Assyrian self-description. Uh, it's often the case with the British Museum. They've got more artifacts from that empire uh, than anywhere else in the world. That's the benefit of stealing everyone else's treasures. Uh, so you can go to the British Museum and read all the uh, Assyrian... Uh, and their self-description of the Assyrians, the Ninevites, is of a people without mercy. How they love to skin their captured victims alive. How they love to burn their ears off their victims while they were still living. Not a nice group of people. They were wicked. And we know that within a generation, within 30 years, Nineveh and the Assyrians had invaded and destroyed Israel. Wiped them out. So God says to Jonah, go to people you hate. Go to people who really scare you. Go to people who are violent and brutalize people who who they don't like. Go to them. Preach against them. Say to them, I'm going to judge you unless you repent. That is a less pleasant job description than go to Israel and tell them they're going to be wildly successful. Go to the most brutal people on the planet and tell them that God is going to judge them. That's trickier. That's scary. And Jonah runs away. Jonah says, no way. Now, for you and for me, we may look around London. And what do you see when you look around London? If you're a Christian, you look around London, what do you see? Um, Broad brush, you could paint it in these terms. You could see this. You could see, uh, on the one hand, a a culture that you think, oh, it's it's a bit more... It's a bit more hostile to Christians than it used to be a few years ago. People say nasty things about Christians. Christians get taken to court these days. It's a bit... It's a bit scarier. It's certainly scarier than it used to be to be a Christian. You could think in those terms. You could think, oh, there are people in London I really, well, actually do intimidate me. There are parts of London I don't like going to. There are parts of London where, dare I say it, uh, oh, there's some militant Muslims that are, they're a bit aggressive, a bit scary. I don't like them. They intimidate me. You could think in those terms. That's like Jonah. Or you could think a bit differently. Here's a city of people that don't know Jesus and need to hear about him. But Jonah was wanted to flee away from God's mercy. He didn't like the people. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't like that job description. I'm out of here. That's the word that comes to Jonah in verses 1 and 2. Then you get a bit of action. 
but Jonah, but the Lord. So God gives this instruction to Jonah, verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 3, but Jonah. What did he do? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Lord said, literally, go up to, jo- to, uh, to Nineveh. And Jonah goes down to Joppa is the contrast. Joppa's a pagan port. It's not an Israelite port. So no one's going to ask Jonah, what are you doing? Aren't you Jonah, the, 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 the prophet? No one's going to ask him what he's doing there. No one will know him there. And he's going to go to Tarshish, which no one is absolutely certain about, but it's meant to be in modern-day Spain. But more as the point is, if you read the book of Isaiah, it's just described as the end of the earth. At Isaiah 66, the, the message of the Lord is going to go, even to Tarshish, it's like the ends of the earth, the back end. So he runs away as far as he can possibly get. Now look, I don't suppose Jonah is daft enough to think he can hide from God. But he does want to avoid him. Jonah wants to go to the place where no one is going to say to him, what are you doing, Jonah? He doesn't want to be challenged. A bit of a tangent, but sometimes you see that today. You see it amongst Christians. They, they sort of know they're doing something that they're not meant to be doing. And so the easiest way forward is, well, I'm not going to go to church because someone might ask me how I am. Someone might ask me what's going on in my life. And so they just avoid contact with other believers. They go to places where no one's going to say, hey, what are you doing? You still see that today. So Jonah tries to flee from God's command on his life. So the word comes, but Jonah, verse 3. Verse 4 is literally, but the Lord. But the Lord. So you get, but Jonah runs away, but the Lord doesn't let him, verse 4. Verse 4, but the Lord sent a great wind, literally threw a great wind. God picks up a massive spear and throws it. The Lord threw a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I love that description. I love the personification of the ship. Do you love that? It's almost as if the ship says to Jonah, look, if you don't behave yourself, I'm going to break up, you know. I am going to break up. I've done it before. You know I will. I'm going to break up. It threatens to break up. Jonah thinks that the boat, the wind and the sea, are going to take him away from God's command. But God uses the boat, the wind and the sea to thwart him, to bring him back. And the point is, just in these first four verses at the beginning, you can't stop God achieving what he wants to. You cannot thwart the Lord's plan. Even if you refuse to take a message of God's mercy to other people, he'll use other means. But certainly Jonah would have avoided himself a lot of stress and a lot of pain if he just cracked on and obeyed God from the beginning. No problem with Jonah saying, but, but Lord, I, I don't want to go to the Nidavites, but Lord, I, I'm a bit scared. He doesn't do any of that. He just runs away. But you can't flee from God. You can't flee from his mercy. Even though Jonah tried. He was trying to flee from God's mercy, one to four. Secondly, that it gets no better, really, in verses five to 14. Both Jonah and the sailors ignore God's mercy. Verses five to 14, okay? You see them ignoring God's mercy. I think it works a bit like this. You get the sort of verses five and six, the futility of uh, ignoring the Lord. You get that in verse 13. These sort of 
bookends that surround the central dialogue. But uh, let's have a look at it. So first of all, verses 5 and 6, you get the sailors try and ignore God. So uh, verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I think the point is, the sailors, they tried self-reliance. They tried to get themselves out of this fix, chuck the cargo away. They, they try, but that doesn't work. What about Jonah? Well, Jonah had gone below deck, verse 5, where he lay down and went into a deep sleep. So this is Jonah. He keeps going down. God said to him, go up to Nineveh. Jonah went down to Joppa, down into the bowels of the boat, and he'll go down to the bottom of the sea. Now, the striking thing is he's fast asleep. So while everyone else is sort of stressing out upstairs, because uh, upstairs, uh, on, anyway, you know what I mean, on, on deck, that's the word. Uh, while everyone else is stressing out on deck, uh, he's fast asleep. That's just a little tangent again, because sometimes rebelling against God, it feels okay. It feels fine, even though it's not. So a little tangent again. But sometimes I have people, I don't know, whatever it is, uh, uh, maybe a young couple are dating, they're, 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 they're not married, uh, and they're sleeping together. And you say to them, why are you doing that? So you, you know, you're meant to do that as Christians. God's word is pretty clear. You, you know, sex is for, for within marriage. And they say, yeah, but, but our consciences are clear about it. Well, I don't care. And nor does God at this moment. His word is very clear. The fact that you feel fine doesn't make it so. And Jonah's a, bit of, a little bit of an example of that, I think. He feels okay. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He's at peace with his decision. It's still a bad one. Just because you feel at peace... You know, yeah, I, I go out and steal from people, but I'm at peace about it because they're rich uh, and I'm not. So, well, I don't care how you feel. You're not meant to do it. Little tangent. So, uh, uh, everyone thinks, well, we'll just ignore what God is doing. But then you get these two little dialogues. Verse 6 The captain went to him, Jonah, and said, How could you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we'll not perish. And then the sailors, they said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Right, five questions for you, Jonah. Uh, They asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? Or what is going on? Is basically what they're saying. Can you just tell us what's going on? And Jonah replies, verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship, literally fear, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Seriously, Jonah? It's it's quite a gap here between his profession. Yes, look, let me tell you who I am. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Super. And what are you doing, Jonah? Uh, Well, God has given me a clear instruction, and I'm running away and disobeying him. That ain't looking a lot like worship, Jonah. There's quite a gap between his profession. You know, he's a prophet. He's used to saying the right thing. He knows what to say. He can, walk the walk, he can talk it, okay. But he's a behavior. But the sailors get it. Verse 10. This terrified them. 
And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord. He'd already told them so. Oh, Jonah, what are you, you what, this is your God that's doing all this? What have you done? And so, well, uh, they, they we're told, verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. They asked him, well, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But they go back to self-reliance. It's how we begin this little paragraph. The men think, well, we don't want to do that. So verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't. For the sea grew wilder, even wilder than before. And again, I think the point of that is, here's how you can be safe. But the sailors think, well, no, we can save ourselves. We'll sort the problem out ourselves. Well, they can't. So they cry out, verse 14, eventually, for mercy. You can't ignore God's mercy. You might think, well, I can save myself. In a spiritual sense, I can save myself. I know I've done things wrong, but I can chuck out cargo uh, and save myself from my life. I can row myself to heaven. You can't do that. There's only one way to be safe, and that's to throw yourself upon God's mercy. Look, here's a question I don't know the answer to. Question before we move on. Why does Jonah just not repent at this moment in time? Okay, so here's how the dog. So the sailors say, What's going on? And Jonah says, Well, my God is doing this because I've run away from him. Uh, 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 and they say to him, Well, what should we do? Uh, and Jonah says, Well, I'll just repent and then everything will be all right. He doesn't say that. He says, Very bizarrely, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Why doesn't he just repent? Oh, Jonah, for goodness sake, just say sorry to God. Just say, All right, I'll go to Nineveh. Why, do you, why throw me into the sea? Which strike is it? Jonah's got himself into such a bad place. He'd rather die than go to the Ninevites. He'd rather die than go to people and say, look, I'm a bit scared of you, but God is going to judge you unless you repent. He'd rather die. He's in a very bad place. This is a prophet who's known fantastic success. And it is unwilling to take a message of mercy to others. So he tried to flee God's mercy. He and the sailors tried to ignore God's mercy. But in the end, they're brought to the point where both accept God's mercy. Particularly the sailors in verses 14 to 17. So here they accept God's mercy, the sailors. Verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. See, here's a change. Uh, The the sailors had called out to their own gods, each to uh, everyone that they knew. But now they call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Jonah's told them that name. The only reason they know about the name of the Lord, capital letters proper name, Yahweh, is because Jonah's told them about him. And you have to say here that the the sailors are presented pretty positively. Uh, Jonah is the believer who doesn't really care that there's a whole city of Nineveh who are going to be judged. The sailors, they're they're not believers, they're they're pagans. 
Uh, and yet they care about one man's life. They do everything they can to spare Jonah. Even though he's cost them their cargo, they've thrown it all overseas. So they're not going to make any money from this trip. He's put their lives at risk. Still, they're very concerned about him. But verse 15, they throw Jonah overseas, overboard, and uh, they're safe. And you see their response in verse 16 of these pagan sailors. The men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That's worship language. They fear him. That is, they revere him. There's no, there's no immediate danger upon their lives as there was in, in verse 5 when they're afraid. They're recognizing who he is. They're gripped by a profound sense of awe. They sacrifice offerings to the Lord, again, Yahweh. They're trusting him. They've been converted, you can put it in those terms. And I think the point is here, God can save you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what background you come from, no matter what mistakes you've made, what crimes committed, what wickedness lies within you. It's the beauty of a testimony of, of someone like Billy McCurry who's coming here next month. Do note he's a former terrorist, not a current one. That's quite a significant thing to know. But he is a man who murdered on the instruction of his superiors and yet could be forgiven. Well, anyone can accept God's mercy. God can save anyone through Jesus Christ. Let me give you three implications uh, as we finish. Uh, Three little implications of this. Uh, The first is this. All nations need to worship the God of heaven. Okay? Everyone. Everyone on this planet needs to worship this God, Yahweh, the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're a pagan sailor from Tarshish, a polite lawyer from London, or a farmer in Afghanistan. Everyone needs to turn away from their pagan gods to the Lord who made the dry land and the sea. Everyone does. And for us who are Christians, we need to know that. Uh, a big away in Australia. One, one, one guy we met in our travels, uh, a chap, Nathaniel. Nathaniel is, uh, is a bit of a rarity because uh, he's an indigenous Australian by background, Aboriginal upbringing, uh, and culturally, ethnically. Uh, and yet he's the only guy from an indigenous background we met in theological training uh, at their big college, Moore College. So he's a rarity. I was chatting to him about odds and ends. And he said, yeah, the problem is... Uh, the church is the same as the culture, really. We're a bit embarrassed about going to indigenous groups and saying they need to trust in Jesus Christ because there's such a collective guilt about how indigenous peoples were treated uh, previously in the last century and so that we're a bit, a bit guilty about saying, leave, leave your pagan gods and trust in Jesus Christ. So there aren't many like me. And it drives me nuts because my people need to know about Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. All nations do. It's not the same, but here in London, it can be that there's that sense of, it was a bit awkward telling people from another culture, from another religion, that they need to trust in Jesus Christ. It just feels a bit, well, embarrassing to say that to them. It's not very tolerant. A bit embarrassed about the past as well. We had an empire, it was a bit embarrassing. Um, 
No, all nations need to know, all groups need to know, all ethnicities need to know that they have to trust in Jesus Christ. God said to Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh. Jesus says to Christians, go and make disciples of all nations. So that's the first little indication. All nations need to worship this God, Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, all people need a scapegoat to die for them. Makes you smile slightly, verse 14. The sailors say, please, Lord, uh, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. He's not that innocent. He's guilty. He's run away. He's put their lives at risk. He's cost them the fortune of this voyage. But still. And here's another question. Why does Jonah insist the mariners throw him overboard? He says, pick me up and throw me overboard. Again, you want to say to Jonah, just jump. All right, you're not going to repent. Fine, just jump. Why do you get the, you know, what's, what's your problem? It's, it's, it's not as if he's probably sort of a, a, a 30 stone man who can't get his leg over the side of the ship. He's saying, why do they have to throw him? And I think the point is this. They pick him up and throw him in to say, all right, we're trusting in God's means of salvation. It's not just you're doing it in front of us, Jonah. We have to physically grasp hold of you and throw you in. And I think it's meant to be just for you and for me a little faint echo here. Because when they pick up Jonah and throw him overboard, God's anger, God's wrath is removed from the ship. And there's peace between God and man, the sailors. Uh, And it's just a little shadow, I think, of the work of Jesus Christ. The truly innocent one, who never did anything wrong, who died. God's wrath fell upon him on the cross, so there could be peace between God and man. And it's not just enough that that took place. You and I have to associate with it. You and I have to trust in him. We don't pick him up and throw him over a boat. But we do personally need to say, yeah, he's for me. I'm with him. I trust that he died so that I don't have to eternally. God's anger fell upon him so that I'm safe. So all of us, all people need a scapegoat to die for them. You trust in him personally. So all nations need to believe in this God. All people need a scapegoat to die for them. Last little thing, all believers can be used to share God's mercy. I guess the main thing you take away from Jonah chapter 1 in a sense is Jonah is useless and yet still God's work gets done. And who does what in the sailor's conversion? The Lord arranges all the circumstances. All Jonah does in chapter 1 is say verse 9. Hypocritically, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land, brackets, although my life completely denies that that's true. Okay? He says the right thing, lives terribly, and the sailors still are saved. That's extraordinary. And I think the point is, for you and for me, look, if God can use hypocritical, disobedient Jonah, then he can use me and he could use you to share God's mercy with other people. Jonah's behavior is utterly contradictory to his words, but God's plans can't be stopped. So for you and for me, all we can, if, we, if we're Christians and we manage to splutter out, I'm a Christian and I worship the Lord Jesus Christ who made all things, you, me, everything on this planet. 
and died so that we can be forgiven, well, then we're just as good as Jonah, probably one step better. It's quite interesting. Jonah never gets to see them profess faith. Jonah never gets to see, verse 16, them trusting the Lord. Still, it happens. If God can use Jonah so that people trust in him and trust in his mercy, he really can use you and me. Have you had that experience? I say it with some embarrassment because some of the people involved are here. Uh, back in the autumn, it was uh, just a couple of weeks after my dad had died. and I was pretty exhausted emotionally uh, and strung out. And uh, I was asked to speak, uh, or was committed to speak at a weekend away for uh, one of the London universities. And uh, to be honest with you, I just cannot tell you how much I did not want to do it. I was exhausted. And the idea of going and speaking with a group of people I didn't know particularly well uh, over a weekend when I was now, I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to go. And you go think, Lord, I don't want to do this. Help me do something vaguely competent because I don't want to be here and I don't want to speak to these people. I just want to be at home. I'm knackered. I'm strung out. I'm emotionally a bit of a wreck. So uh, on the Friday night, I give a first talk, uh, a talk on really what is the gospel, what is the message uh, of, of the Bible that saves. And I pushed quite hard probably on uh, the fact that all of us are sinful and deserve God's judgment. Possibly too hard for people I didn't know. I don't know about that. But there was a little bit of fuss afterwards uh, and a, a, a little gang of people saying, but what about, what about, what about, and, and people, a few people upset and sort of quite aggressively upset. How can you say that about me? How can you say that about my family? And as I sat there, you know, it's 10 o'clock and you're answering questions. And I'm thinking, look, I know you're asking good questions. I just want to go home. I just want to go to bed. Uh, you seem like nice people, but I don't want to be here. And I don't want to answer your questions, even though you're asking questions which, about Jesus. I just don't want to be here. And the next day, he said, oh, I don't want to be here. And I have to say, I went away from the weekend thinking, mm, that wasn't great. Uh, I'm not sure how patient I was with people. I'm not sure how clear I was. I'm very conscious in my own heart, Lord, I just didn't want to be there. Sorry, that wasn't great, was it? And then some of the guys involved told me a week later that two people had become Christians that weekend. How do you think? I was on terrible form. I was in a grumpy mood and barely praying and just grumpy with the people involved. And yet still, Lord, you use my slightly forceful, grumpy, mean-spirited words and people became Christians. That is your work and not mine. You still use me despite my irritability, unwillingness to really be involved. If God can use hypocritical, disobedient Jonah to bring people to faith, he can use you and he can use me. Because God is a God of mercy and he wants people to know about his mercy. For you and for me, if you're a Christian, all you need to do really is say to people, look, I'm a Christian who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you a bit more about him? If you're not yet a Christian, look, forgive us who are. Sometimes we're very lazy at telling people about Christ. Sometimes we do so in a pretty mean-spirited way. Sometimes we say one thing in our lives tonight. We're rubbish. But God is not. The Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful God of mercy. Do trust him. Let's pray together.
Our Father, thank you that you are so determined to see uh, people saved, so determined to have a group of people recognize that you're wonderful, that you're loving, that you're merciful, that you give us far more than we deserve. That despite the flaws and inadequacies of your people, the flaws of Christians today, still you use us to share a message of your mercy. Father, would we be determined to, uh, more determined than ever to, to tell people of you? Would in our own lives, would we be struck that you are a God of mercy? So would we not flee from our our uh, uh, job of telling people of others will be so overwhelmed by your mercy that we long to share it with those who don't know it yet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.